Good morning and welcome. It's good to see everybody this morning as you're making your way in. I hope you got a bulletin and you'll be able to follow along in service. Many of you who've been here in the past have seen interns before, uh, but I think it'll be a, a blessed time for them to come in and help us this summer. So for those of you who have youth and are wondering what's going to happen, I assure you Jerry is not leading the youth group. That is not happening here. Um, but we do want to introduce them this morning, and I know it's embarrassing for some of them. You'll get a chance, but I want to uh, pray for them during our prayer time, and I wanted you to have a face. Many of you know them. I want to ask one at a time. We decided, and as I was praying with the session, that it would be nice to have two interns um, that would be able to come in, one to help focus on relationships with our young men, um, and one to help focus with our young women, so that their job is not only to come and help teach, but they're going to spend the summer plugging in and discipling and having relationships with our youth. And so we'll still be involved. Parents, we still want you to be involved, but I'm going to ask Zach if he'll stand first just for a moment. This is Zach Alexander. Many of you know him. He's been with us for years. And uh, if you don't know Zach, he's played in the instruments up here. He's been a part. Zach has actually graduated from Maryland, and he's actually got one year left of seminary, believe it or not. It's that wild. And uh, so I've been his mentor for a while, but he'll be finishing up seminary, praying about being in youth ministry. And so he's going to be here this summer to help lead in that. And then also on this side, they're separated for a reason. We don't let guys and girls sit together when we do this. It's going to be a long summer if I have to do this. Uh, but I want to introduce Sarah uh, Williams. This is Sarah. Uh, her family comes to church here. Her mom teaches in our class, and uh, her sister Emma was here. But Sarah is actually in counseling and psychology down at Clemson. She's only got one year left. She's also a Navigators Discipleship Leader for the freshman uh, girls there at the college, and so she's excited to come in and disciple the young girls and to be a part of the uh, program as we have them. So I'll pray for them in a minute, but I just wanted you to each have a face. They start Monday, um, and so let's give them a hand. They're going to be here all summer. Uh, so we'll be working together, but as we pray for them, they'll start Monday um, preparing the Sunday school. They're actually going to teach together the middle school age Sunday school class, um, and we're going to be promoting up. So those of you who are in the older elementary class, you only have this week and one more week. You have to wait. And then after that in June, we will promote everybody up into the next age group. And so they'll run the middle school age class, and then they'll help plan and prepare and program the Sunday night ministries um, until they're chased off. I can just tell you that one is middle school. So uh, that's a fun class to be a part of. But anyway, lots going on. We just wanted to share these with you. Uh, we appreciate everything and your patience as we go forward. Um, but I wanted to have that before you uh, as we plan to pray in just a moment. But for now, let's join together as we confess our faith. It's there in your bulletin. I'll read the question. It is lengthy, I know, but listen to the importance of the question and the guidelines it gives us for interpreting how to do what God has asked. What are the guidelines for the proper understanding of the Ten Commandments? To understand the Ten Commandments properly, these guidelines should be followed. The law is perfect and binds the whole person to observe it and completely, and according to its standard, to be completely righteous and perfectly obey every one of its obligations forever. On the negative side, the law forbids even the slightest or partial commission of any sin. Since it is spiritual, 
The law involves our understanding, our will, our emotions, and all the other faculties of the soul, as well as our words, actions, and self-expressions. Different aspects of one and the same thing may be required or forbidden in several different commandments. When something is required, the opposite is forbidden. And where a specific sin is forbidden, its opposite is required. In the same way, when a requirement of the law adds a promise of some blessing for obeying it, that promise also includes a threat for disobeying it. And when a threat is added, an opposite promise is included. Since the provisions of the law apply not only to us, but to everyone else, we must try to help others keep those provisions in the context of our own position in life and theirs. Similarly, we must support others in keeping what the law commands them to do or not to do, and particularly by not joining them in doing what is forbidden to them. And so there's a lot there, but what a blessing. Take it home, read through it, look through it, analyze what it is they're giving us to help us complete and do what God's called us to do. At this time, I'm going to ask our ushers if they will come forward to take up our offering this morning. I'll lead us in an offertory prayer, but then I'll ask you to sit back, enjoy the offering as our choir leads us in a special this morning. Let's pray. Father, again, we just simply come before you and ask that you'll take what you have already blessed us with. And that as we give it back to you, you will use it. Lord, give us the wisdom to know how, how to do ministry, how to expand your kingdom, and Father, how to use it in ways that we can bring glory to your name. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let me lead us in prayer, and if you'll join me in the Lord's Prayer before we sing again. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all that you have done, for what you're doing and what you're going to do, what your scriptures promise us how your Holy Spirit is the promise, the guarantee of all those things. Lord, here this morning, I pray that you'll just bring a, a peace to our hearts, that you'll allow us to put away the things of this world, help us to focus on your word, on the fellowship that you've given us, that we may come together and bring glory to your name. Lord, we do mention many of our family and their prayer requests, those who have been sick and hurting and recovering, we mention those. But Father, this morning we pray for uh, Zach and Sarah. We just pray that, Lord, not only would they be a blessing to us this summer, but it would be a time that you would hone in your calling on their life. Use our church. Lord, not just to be ministered to, but Lord, let us be a vessel of honor, one that could help minister to them, to help them discover what it is God wants in their life, to help them pick the path that you may have for them that make it clear. In both ways, Lord, as they discover your calling in their life, and we watch their service and minister to us, let it be that you get the praise and the glory so that we can all come boldly to the throne of grace, praying as you taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. And 
As you are, I pray that you have brought your Bibles so that you can follow along with us as we begin our journey together through Mark. We have just started and are beginning our journey through a a fast-paced, discipleship-oriented, servant-led gospel. And if you have never been through Mark or read it, I encourage you to sit down and read it because it moves quickly and it gives us an opportunity to see what it is that Mark has for us about this man, Jesus Christ. About whether it's a servanthood or whether it's discipleship or whether it's just staying on track. People ask me all the time, what is it that we're going to title this sermon series? They ask me all the time and Every week, I want to do something different with Mark because there's so much in there. And I think to myself, man, just follow Jesus. That's what this is all about. Just get behind him and go. He's coming. Just be prepared. Just stay on track. Wherever you are in life, just stay on track. Get, Get with Jesus and just stay there. But when it comes down to being transformed, that's what it's really all about. It's about being with Jesus and being changed. And so this morning, I take you on the last part of his introduction about this one coming from the wilderness to speak to us. And this morning I challenge you in the same. Let me read, if I can, down through verse 8. We did verse 1, but I would just want to read it as it is in the Greek, a part of the continuation as we go forward. From Mark, his gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, just as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger before you who will prepare your way. The voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather's belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching, saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to bend down and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I want to challenge you this morning in several ways as we follow this about this person that comes proclaiming a way. Let me begin. I'll give you several things as we go, but first let's look at this person uh, of the one that's coming to do the baptizing. You may see it listed here before you, many of the different messages, but he blends together three quotes. Folks, you won't find where it says, behold, uh, just as it is written in Isaiah. That is only taken last part of Isaiah 40. That is actually a conglomeration of three Old Testament passages. Mark is in such a hurry to show us who Jesus is, that he is the fulfilling of the Messiah that was supposed to come. He takes the passages of Exodus, he takes the passages of Malachi, and he takes Isaiah 40, and he summarizes it all, and he says, as it is written. So if you're trying to do your study this morning, those are the three passages you're going to have to go back and find in the Septuagint, as he quotes so many of those, the old written over into the Greek New. 
Because what he's really trying to prove is that the person that he is, that is coming, fulfills a prophetic role of what God has promised from the beginning. He is not just another person. He is not just another prophet from the days of Malachi since it stopped. He is not just someone who is interested in seeing change. Mark wants you to know that this person is exactly what was promised to prepare the time of the Messiah. And they would all know that. Those that were listening would understand that, wait a minute, this person that is coming to proclaim things is coming to prepare the way, to set the stage for the beginning of the end. How many of you know when the beginning of the end was for the stages in your life? Let me give you an example. It may be that when you went to the doctor, he said, this is the beginning of the end of your life. You've been diagnosed, and this is what you have, and this is what you have left. And how does that change the rest of your life? It may have been that you've been in one of those situations when your loved one comes home and says, I'm just here to tell you there's someone else. And that in a matter of time, I would like this to be over, and I would like to be in a whole other place. This is the beginning of the what? The end. Or maybe it's the phone call that you got from the police. It was a wreck. It was a break-in. It was a robbery. And they're on life support. They're waiting and they're letting you know this is the beginning of the what? The end. You see, if we could live every day of our life being told exactly what was going to happen and when it was going to happen, most of us would live our lives doing whatever it is we pleased until all of a sudden we get that news, and then we begin to think, okay, now what do we do? Now this is the reality. Are we prepared? Are we ready? Are we going to be able to face what's coming? Are we going to be able to get through what it's going to take? Are we, because now that we know the end is here, and that's exactly what John did. John brought the proclamation that just simply said, the end is now beginning. All that God has promised is now here. The kingdom of God is at hand, and you'd better make straight the paths. I wish he would have said, 2,015 years, it'll be over. I wish he would have said, oh, 3,030 more years and you, and you better be ready. But we are never given the time. We're simply told you'd better make the paths straight. For this is the beginning of the end. I'm not sure where you are or what it is, but just as John comes to prepare the way, you too, here this morning, are in positions to prepare the way. Are you going to be the one that tells your son or daughter what they need to do to prepare the way? Are you going to be the one that finally reaches out to mom or dad in the last grip of grace on the side of the bed to say, there's one more thing I need to tell you? The child that's ran away, the child that wants to come back, you get one last glimpse. You either make all the changes for it to be available for them to come, or do you take the stance for one last opportunity to make sure you've prepared the way? 
to make sure that you are the one that let them know that what they're going to face in the presence of God the Father, they had better make ready the way. That's what he's coming to tell us. Not to get caught up in the messenger, but in the Messiah that's here to follow. It's right there behind him. John is the one gospel that if you were to take the others out, Mark's the one that begins to tell us who this special figure is. Who this one, John would tell us it's the one who was in the word that became flesh. Mark simply tells us, look, he's right here coming. No guessing about his past. No guessing where he's at. I'm just telling you. I'm here to tell you he's behind me. One is coming and we've got to be prepared. I don't know when that day will be. Throughout the New Testament, we're told it'll come like a thief in the night. It'll come and we least expect it. We've been given the stories and the parables of the ten virgins in which some will miss it. We've been given the Old Testament stories of Noah in which some neglected it and never had another chance. We've seen the stories of Sodom and Gomorrah in which some will be cursed and punished. All I can ask you this morning is what Mark writes to us, Behold, John's voice, I am just the messenger. This morning, if you're upset with what God's doing in your life or what scriptures are, let me plead my case with you. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the messenger. Don't get caught up in me. Get caught up in the one I want to announce. Because only the Holy Spirit, only the one who can give you the Holy Spirit is the one who comes after John. Only the one who can give you the Holy Spirit is the one that I proclaim to you. The one that I want to put before you. The one that I constantly ask you to listen to. I can't make those changes in your life. Others can't make those changes in your life. In order to, prepared, in order to be prepared to meet God and to face the end... You must have the Holy Spirit. Mark simply writes us and tells us that there comes one from the wilderness. He's not Elijah. I'll give you the end of the story. Some of you want to ask it. It's throughout all the stories. It's funny because if you're in the Gospel of John, they ask him if he is. He said no. If you're listening to Matthew and they ask Jesus, he said, yes, he is. Who do you believe? Well, the answer comes in Luke when we are told that what John the Baptist did is he actually fulfilled, if you wish, the ministry and the power of Elijah. He accomplished the ministry of what Malachi tells us will happen, that Elijah must come in a way before Christ comes. Mark writes us to say this is the one that comes from Exodus, the one that comes from Malachi, the one that comes from Isaiah. This is the one that comes to fulfill what Elijah would do so that your heart would be prepared and ready to receive the one I'm not even worthy to unstrap the sandals. It would be a great honor. My head would swell tremendously if Jesus were in this room and a debate took place and I felt like, wait a minute, Jesus, let, let me share this part. And people wanted to hear what Jerry wanted to stay, say instead of who. Isn't that amazing? That I would actually think that I know the scriptures enough, that Jesus, I know you're here. That's really cool. Let me add something to that. 
And yet we live in a generation of people who are twisting the scriptures, taking them, making them what they want them to be, discrediting some of them. They don't fit science. They don't fit the realms. They don't seem to make sense. We seem to somehow stand in the presence of Jesus and say we have an equal access as you when it comes to truth. No, Mark tells us we're not even there. John even says, as the one who would be a slave, keep in mind, the one who would unstrap the sandals for those wonderful rich people were the slaves that were there before them. And what John is actually saying to you is, I'm not even worthy to be considered a slave when it comes to Jesus Christ. I wouldn't even be in the presence able to be asked to do that. When we look at this person who comes, we need to realize Mark's gospel is there to help us understand the person that is following him. And my question to you this morning is just this. Do you understand who Jesus is? Have your ways been prepared? Has your path been made straight? Are you living accordingly? Because... You're at the beginning of the end. The kingdom has come. He's at the right hand of the Father. And as he brings all things under his footstool, one day he'll come again. And you'd better be ready. So he tells us not just about this person that comes baptizing, but this place, this Eremos. It's, it's called a wilderness. If you don't know what that is, he comes from the wilderness. Why is that important? Why does he tell us that he's calling out in the wilderness? This Eremos is the place that in all of our stories that we have, it's the place that Jesus brings his people to meet with him. It's the place that the prophets could go to hear God's voice. It was the place that people could go to experience God's protections and provisions. It wasn't just the outcast of sin. We say that when we send the animals out and our sins are taking away. Think about it. It's the opposite side of when the scapegoat takes away our sin. It's where we find grace. It may be the punishment on the animal, but it's in the wilderness that we find grace. It's in the wilderness that we find the protections for ourselves. It's in the wilderness that we're called out from the mundane, routine life of the suburbs and find a place to live where we can have the quiet, still, small voice of what it is God wants me to do. That's what it is about the place of a wilderness. Listen to it. It was Moses. Isn't it amazing that in all of Egypt, when all was going on, it was taken out to the Midianite wilderness to catch the burning bush, taken away from all that was happening. It was across the Red Sea in which God called his people. He could have done what he wanted in Egypt, but he brought them to the wilderness where for all those years they would have to rely on his protections and his provisions so that they could be his people. And maybe it is this morning that just as John comes heralding, Maybe we need to run to the wilderness. Maybe we've made a lot of decisions in life in the suburbs. We made decisions because we thought they had to be made quick. And so we didn't think it through. We made decisions that we knew other people would like. And so we looked good in their eyes. And we made decisions that would advance our own position so that we could get ahead. 
And now maybe for the first time you're hearing that still small voice that says the same thing Jesus said to his disciples close to him. Give me a minute. Stay down here for just a moment and keep watch while I go up alone and what? Pray. It's the wilderness. It's where we meet God. It's where we go through circumstances. It's where Elijah was when all the ravens ministered to him. It's where the people of God were called specifically to be with him. It's where Jesus was when he faced Satan and the angels came to minister to him. I've shared the passage many a times. It's one of my favorite when the, being tempted by Satan, he finally tells him, just cast yourself down. He said he would give his angels charge over thee. Why don't you just prove it to the world and let them be there? And do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, now the Bible also says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He defeats Satan and Satan leaves. And do you remember what the story says? Immediately who came? The angels. It was true all along. It was in the wilderness. It's where God protects. It's where God provides. It's where we learn to trust in him. Not ourselves. Not others. Not our careers. Not our neighbors. Not our possessions. We realize that what Mark is doing is he's taking us immediately back into the place where we've got to be confronted with the truth. And the truth is a person. It's the person Jesus Christ. That person is there to tell us that this place that God is sending his speaker through is that we might go out to meet him. That we too would find a chance and an opportunity to find new hope, a new beginning. A young couple, Eric and Tammy, came to me one day with their little child, Marissa. We are in the upper parts of Michigan years ago, way up there at the top where it's cold. That's what Michigan looks like, by the way. And they said, we want to make our lives right, but we don't have the money. We've got nowhere to go. We're living together. We already have one child and one on the way. We're not married, but we want to make it right. We want the church to know we want to make it right. So I sat down with them and Sylvia, their mother, and I said, listen, I understand. I don't have the money to get you a place. I don't have the money to separate you. And he said, but I want the church to know I want this done right. I have felt convicted by God, and I want Tammy to be my wife, and I want us to get married, but I want it to be right. I don't want to just assume going forward in a way that's not right. I want to do whatever it takes, whatever I have to confront, and I'll never remember, or I'll never forget when he remembered the opportunity when one of his friends said, why don't you just find time with God and ask him? Eric did that. He came to me. We sat down with Sylvia, and we said, Sylvia, is it okay? If Eric and Tammy covenant to live in the same house and never be together again until they're married. That was their option, not mine. That wasn't a requirement for them to come. Eric asked if he could come before the church. I was like, well, what are you going to tell them? He said, I just want them to know and I want them to trust that I want God to be the center of this so I gave him a few moments and let him share one day that he said, listen, we've committed our lives to Christ. We realize what it is God wants in our lives, but we don't have the ability to separate. And so I just want you to know that if you hear anything at all 
about Tammy and I living together. We're actually living in her mom's home. She's living in the bedroom with the girls, and I'll be sleeping on the couch until the day comes that we get married. Talk about a wilderness experience. Needing the help of God, the help of your church. For Tammy and Eric are only one of millions who face that same circumstance. What choice would you make to prepare the way to make sure it's straight and ready to meet the Lord? Just what is it going to take for you to lose? Because Deuteronomy chapter 8, go back there with me for just a moment, not to bar the whole stories from everybody, to spend the whole morning just reading, but Deuteronomy chapter 8 is the story where Israel trusts God with everything and his protection. I won't read anything and everything in there, but just take a moment and listen as I begin to read all the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do so that you may live and increase Go in and take possessions of the land which the Lord swore to give you and the forefathers. And you shall remember all the way in which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years in order to humble you, putting you to the test to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and he let you go hungry and he fed you with manna which you did not know or did, your fathers did not know, in order to make you understand that man shall not live on bread alone, but man shall live on everything that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your, you, nor did your feet swell these 40 years. So you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep these commandments of the Lord Walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land and streams that go on and on. It takes a wilderness experience to sometimes get us to see the goodness of God. And maybe this morning you're stepping into one of those wildernesses. And the temptation is to not go to stay with your friends, to stay with your family, to stay with your church, to stay with what is comfortable, to stay with what it is that you know, to stay where it is comfortably everything you've always wanted. Yet in order to be in the center of God's will, you must heed the call and head to the wilderness to meet with God. Why? There's a purpose Making straight the path was because there was a purpose to this. It wasn't just the person or the place. There is a purpose for this. The baptism of repentance. Listen to what John said. He was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is an amazing story. Again, in Exodus 19, you can go back and read it. This wasn't a baptism that was saying people were coming out and being saved. Folks, you're not saved without the Holy Spirit. You realize that? And the one that's going to give the Holy Spirit's right behind him. So if you were to look at the two, you would say, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? I thought it was the baptism that was bringing this. John's giving us a baptism of metanao. It's the word I've given you before. It's with the mind. It's a special understanding of what's going on. 
John comes out with a baptism. An entire nation in Exodus 19 was called to be kingdom of priests, to be holy before the Lord, to be cleansed, to be washed, and to be made ready. The baptism of repentance was taking the people back to Exodus, just like they did in the wilderness. It wasn't taking us to a new form of baptisms, to a special form of baptism. It was taking us back to the covenant people of God who knew that if they were going to be right with God and obey God, they had to be cleansed. They had to be purified. It was the precursor to the truth. Not all of you would understand that completely, I know, but I sit back sometimes and I think to myself, what an amazing event we have in baptism. That we can bring our covenant children as part of the remnant promise and have them cleansed with the baptism of repentance only to await the gift of the Holy Spirit that changes their hearts forever. I can tell you as a parent, when I baptized my children, I never once said that they were saved. But I would raise them as though they would be because I had put everything on them that said, now it's just a matter of the Holy Spirit coming and making it right. If you're here this morning and you've been baptized, but your heart has never been circumcised. Yeah, you've been sprinkled with water. Yeah, you've been immersed under. Yeah, you've been poured over. I don't, it doesn't matter. Baptism never has saved you. It's the precursor to receiving the Holy Spirit. It's the truth of a purifying that must take place on the inside. Symbolized by moral and spiritual transformation is the outside baptism and the inside baptism. Metanoia is with the mind. It's this understanding that we've altered one's understanding. Things have changed to how you see things. It's a rational decision. It's a decision of the will that goes forward. To be a child of God is a remarkable decision in someone's life. It's not emotional. Pastor, I feel so good as a child of God. Thank you. I'm glad you do. But it's not how you feel that matters. Because even if you don't feel good as a child of God, it's wonderful to be a child of God. And so all of a sudden we realize it's not about the mood. It's not about the mood that's created in places. One of the biggest things we're dealing with today is the styles of worship I don't want to pick which worship you should have and which songs you should sing, but I will simply say this. We have places now that are books are being written and notes are being taken and brochures are being put out on how to create the mood in a worship service. Dim the lights. Bring the fog. Breathe fire. <laughs> tap and dance. I don't mean to mock anybody. But entertainment has nothing to do with the truth. And let me tell you why. The Spirit doesn't need anybody's help to come and convict. And so if you have to think to yourself, I just don't feel it there. I just don't sense the right feelings there. It doesn't seem to be a warm place there. For 30 years, I've heard those decisions, and I want to say gently to you, because I love all of you, 
that no matter how cold or warm you feel, it's Tim's fault, not mine. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tim. The coldness or the warmth that you feel has nothing to do with the temperature of this building. It has to do with the temperature of your what? Heart. On whether or not you're right with God. If you're still depending on somebody else to make your spiritual life right, you've only received a baptism of water. Yes, it's about the person, Jesus Christ, the place that he comes in the wilderness to get us to meet God. And that purpose of baptism is to bring us to the point where we're on the right path. That's what it's all about. It's this path of following Jesus Christ in the path. Listen to what it says. Three times, I'm sending my messenger before you who will prepare your way, who is there in the way of the Lord and his path straight. But let me tell you this clearly. The gospel message is not a message about mysticism. It's not a message about all kinds of uh, mythological gods. It's not a story that goes on into metaphysics or even ethical codes of standards and conducts. It's about a path, a way, and a truth that leads to Jesus Christ, a right relationship with the Father. That's what every Christian needs to be on, is a path that leads straight to God. And only God can make that path. Only God creates that way. It's his messenger that came. It's his answer to the truths of the Old Testament prophecy. Jesus, or John, is the one calling the way God said it would happen. And the way that leads to God on the right path is only made possible by God. And the way that God created it was the way of the cross. The path to a right relationship of making things straight is only through the cross of Jesus Christ. If you cannot pick up your cross daily and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. It's about the path. And not only that, it's about that this path promises something special. You need more than water. You need more than just fellowship. You need more than what this world has to offer. You need what the one that comes after John provides. You need the one that Jerry is proclaiming. You need the one that your parents raised you to meet. You don't need your parents. You don't need your pastor, and you don't need all the prophets. What you need is the person, Jesus Christ, that John came to proclaim. Without him, you will not see what you're supposed to see in the presence of the Father. The purpose leads to promise. The Holy Spirit leads to the totality control of our lives. He was a down payment, an earnest gift, an assurance of the things hoped for. What Jesus came to tell you was that only God can give you the Holy Spirit. You meet him at the cross. 
It's there your sins are forgiven. It's there the Holy Spirit has brought you so that the totality of your life is under his control. Mark simply wants you to know there is a way and there is a path and you must be on it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have changed us internally. That there's more to this life than just pleasing people, being accepted by others. Lord, as we come to fellowship with you, Lord, help us. Help us to truly commune with you through all of this. Lord, I ask that you set my own personality aside, and I ask that you help us to see the truth of your word, the truth of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. As the choir comes to lead us, I ask you to, if you want to, you can pull out uh, your uh, O Sacred Head Now Wounded hymn number 247. We're going to sing one stanza of hymn 247, and then we'll, you can do it while you're sit- seated, and then we're going to share together in the Lord's Supper. As we pass it out, we ask that you'll just pray commune and make sure we're on the right path but let's sing together as the choir leads us the first stanza of our hymn If I could ask the helpers to please come forward to take the Lord's Supper. While you're sitting there, I'm going to take a moment. We're going to begin passing these out. If you're here with us and you're visiting, I ask that if you have made a profession of faith, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you can go ahead and begin then I invite you to take one and hold it if you've never made a profession of faith, never been a part of the membership of a church that, oh, let me hold one, I'm gonna do the choir, Ted. Let me take this one. Go ahead, guys. Go ahead, you can pass it out. As they're passing it out, let me just remind you that we're taking this to commune together at the table of our Lord. It is for those who've made a profession of faith. If you've been baptized as a child, again, I remind you, it's only the precursor. It's only what leads to the promise of the Holy Spirit that comes. It's making you ready and prepared that as your children raise you in the admonition and instruction of the Lord, it is the Holy Spirit we pray for. If you're here this morning and you've never been baptized, I ask you to pray. I ask you to pray and realize that isn't John amazing or Mark amazing when he writes and tells us that even Jesus came to a baptism of repentance. It obviously wasn't for the forgiveness of sins. It was to show the covenant promises in Exodus that we all obey the Father. We're all part of the same. So as they're passing that out, we're going to sing the second stanza together of that hymn, and then after that, we'll partake together. So let's sing the second stanza of O Sacred Head Now Wounded. (laughs) 
what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. In that process of breaking of the bread, there are many stories of how it was told about one breaking it, piecing it, and sharing it to find out who would dip it and betray it. The point was that all of us needed the blood of Jesus Christ. And so for now, we're going to take and we're going to pass out the drinks. And I ask that you would do the same thing as what we did before. I'm going to read something to you for a moment and we'll sing. And then we'll share it together. So please take one. And then we'll take it together at the end. Go ahead. You can pass that out. Before we sing the third verse, let me just read. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to having come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is not of his creation, and not through the blood of the goats and the calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all time, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve a living God. While they're passing out, let's sing together that last stanza of O Sacred Head, Now Wounded.
He said, this is my body broken for you, and it is my blood shed for you. It is the sign of the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your forgiveness, for your cleansing, and for giving us the Holy Spirit, a down payment that one day we would spend eternity with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You would receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. And all God's children said, amen. Have a great Lord's Day.